0: Welcome to the Cabramatta Vineyard Church Podcast. We are a missional community in southwestern Sydney that desires to be a preview community of God's generous rule and reign. For more information, check out cabermattervineyard.org.au That are joining us online. Really glad to be with you and get the opportunity to share again today. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, just, I always just love spending time with the Lord and trying to listen to hear what He has to say to us, and this week's been no exception to that. So I just got a sense of uh, I think the Lord's got something for each of us in a unique way as we open His scriptures together. I'm going to start by just, uh, I was Recently listening to a podcast where they told the story of a, a guy who uh, a soldier from World War two Is a prisoner of war in a German prison camp and he managed to escape And when he escaped he was obviously on the run trying to head towards Switzerland or somewhere for for freedom and and he, he, he was successful he actually he, he survived the journey outside of the camp and uh, uh, into the kind of the, the the atmosphere of World War Two, and to a safe place. And in recounting his story, he said there was no there was no one thing, there was no one dramatic thing that led to his safe journey and escape from from his prison camp. He said, but there was eleven small things. There was eleven small things that along the way made a big difference. And the, the small thing could have been. Like he met someone that gave him a piece of bread and that sustained him for a day or so. And he met someone else that gave him water. And he met someone else that said, no, go down this way because the Germans are that way. So, he, and he put it down to 11 small interactions, which led to his safe <clears throat> arrival. Uh, I, I know um, Pam, uh, Tracy and I were on the holidays in Queensland just last time, but we left the day after I spoke a month ago, and when we landed, we, we got an Uber, and we were we were uh, uh, taking this Uber, and we started chatting to this Uber driver, and and I I I got, I got to be honest, I I saw like because I was sitting right behind him, and I saw his phone, and it flashed up with a message, and I, and I was a bit nosy, and I, I saw the message because it said I'm really sorry, Uber. You know, and I'm like, oh, something's happening in this guy. So anyway, we were, we were um, talking and along the way and we could get into our arrival. I just kind of felt something of like of the Lord, you know, I'm like, I, I want to do something here. So I, I I said to him, hey, you know, when Tracy and I, when we, when we take an Uber, we're, we're Christians and we always offer to pray for the Uber driver if there's anything we could pray for about you. Now, here's... The, just to be completely honest with you, is I never take Ubers. <laughs> and I thought, I can say this and not be lying, because if we do it, then it is always, right? If it's a first, <laughs> it's always. So, so in my first and always occasion of taking an Uber, we, we asked if we could pray for this Uber driver. We got his name, which is a name I can't <coughs> pronounce well. And we and he, he said, hey, is there anything that you'd like us to pray for? he goes, oh, yeah. And he, he told us about, it was his fiancee and he was about to get married hey babe, in, in a few weeks. And, and we said, oh, well, why don't, why don't we just, why don't we pray for that and just pray for you? And, and so we just took 10 seconds, 20 seconds in the car and dropped him off and uh, he dropped us off. And, uh, and you know, and I got to thinking because he was Kurdish. right, And I thought, wow, what led him to this country where he'd meet like a Christian customer and get prayed for. That probably wouldn't happen from, from where he came from. And then, and then the second thought I had was, what if in the, on his next passenger or the one after that was another Christian that happened to say, "Hey, we followed Jesus, and maybe there's something we could pray for." You know, the the accumulation of small things. Maybe eleven leads to his salvation. But we, we, you know, in in. in in church life and in the christian journey we actually see that that's that's kind of often how it works there's a guy by the name of james engel and he he made a thing called the engel scale which is a it's a scale of journey that people go on in their encounter with god and it starts off as, as like the step zero it's and it's about 10 steps of meaningful interaction where they go from a place of, of being on the fringe where they have no awareness of God to uh, some awareness and then becoming friends with people who are Christians and then to a place at, at step 10 where they actually are like, hey, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus right now. Amen. And there's like 10, 10 steps that they go through on that journey. And uh, my pastor, when he was teaching me about this, he said, you know, in the Jesus movement in the 70s, it would just take one two or three encounters with a christian to move them up those 10 steps but now it's like 15 mm. to to move along a step yeah. you know because it, it's it's got more difficult what we want when we come to like doing church and 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 the christian journey we, we want the silver bullet to church growth right we want that that one, that that one, spe- and I've seen churches do it. Oh, oh, we brought a motorbike on stage, and that everyone loved that. It's like, yeah, but did the kingdom come? There's, there's no, there's no silver bullet. But what there is is this ongoing, small things accumulating. I, I think we're drawn to that. I know I am that. If, if I could just change it all in just a moment, like you know, I I, I drink the man shake for a day and I do one gym session. I I come home. And I'm like, I can see it. You you know, or and I don't don't know if you guys saw that Australian pro surfer Mickey Wright, and he was in Hawaii. He's a pro surfer, and this lady got caught in the massive swell just off the shore break of of Hawaii, and she's getting swept along the rocks. And he he literally was filming this. He gave his phone to a guy. It's on the news. You look at, and he jumped over this fence and he ran and he dived in the water in this heroic moment, and he and he. They got plunged under the water several times, but they managed to get it to the rocks and with some help got her out, saved a life, you know. And when he put that on his Instagram, he put it under the caption, hold my beer, which we kind of say in Australia, right? Like, hold my beer, here I go, here goes to something heroic. And, and when, maybe in Christian life and in church circles, we want that that moment of hold my beer, the Holy Spirit's going to come, you know. We, we could have hold my beer ministries. Yeah, it would work in this culture. You no, know, um, you know, sometimes it does. Sometimes uh, God breaks in in, in powerful ways. And, and it's like, wow, what happened today? How did, how did that happen today? I remember in my journey in my 20s when I was um, at, at my church in the vineyard in, in, in Lancaster, California, and our new pastor had been there for 12 months and he was shifting things and changing things and, and nothing was happening. People were leaving, but more people were coming, but nothing of what he was hoping and desiring for was happening. And then one Sunday, 50 people came forward and gave their life to Christ. And it's like, and I looked at that, and it had a profound impact on me because I'm like, wow, lives changed and saved. So, how how does that happen? I got the privilege of being mentored by him. And, and so so much of who I am and, and even what I say today has been influenced by my journey in that, in that way. But what I saw in that moment where 50 people, like men and women and children of all ages, gave their life to Christ that morning, and then from that point on, it just kept going. It just kept growing from a church of 800 people to about 5,000. And it's like... Well, I, well, you know how it happened? Because the accumulation of small things done along the way. As, our, as we as a, the Cabramatta Vineyard are in a place of transition and change and we're cutting a path for a way forward, I can't help but kind of add my voice to that crucible of conversations that's happening of like, what does it look like the way forward? And I know as I add my voice to that conversation that it comes out of my personality and, and my gift mix and, and my experience in church and 30 years in the Vineyard movement. And, but it also comes out of my convictions from the Scriptures and, and what matters to God that I see in, in the Scriptures. I think that's really important. As we look to go forward to say, well, yeah, this is what we like, but what, what, what matters to God? What's important to Him? What does, what's the vision and the way forward that He wants us to walk? I want to press into that space a little bit more, as I did in my last speech, uh, my last preach a couple of weeks ago, but i have got to look at John chapter 4. So um, let me get a lens. got homework for you this week. Yeah, it's really easy. If, if you haven't watched it, you know that series, The Chosen? Have you, seen, have you seen that series? It's, it's really quite good. And if you haven't seen the episode, I think it might be season two or the end of season one the episode of John chapter 4 where Jesus meets the woman at the well it's like profound it's it's so powerful and as you know the story of, if you don't but the story of John chapter 4 Jesus meets this Samaritan woman in the middle of the day at this well and he's he's thirsty and she comes to draw water and they have this interaction because she's Samaritan and she's a woman and Jesus asks for water. And she says, well, why, why would I give you a drink? or why would you talk to me even? Because I'm Samaritan and a woman. That just never happens. You're a Jew. And and Jesus speaks into her life in this real prophetic way of like, hey, I've got living water. And they have this conversation. Eventually, she comes to the place of revelation that, hey, you're the Christ. You, you're, you are the one that we've been waiting for. And with that, she kind of leaves her pot and runs off. Forget to water bite. She, she runs back to the town and, and tells everyone in the town, Hey, I think I found the Christ. So I, I want to pick it up at that point in verse 27, where she goes to tell her town. What was interesting about her story, though, is the reason why she was at the well by herself is because she was an adulteress. She had had five husbands, and then she was living in a relationship now where the man wasn't her husband. And so from that place, she was like, spiritually socially uh, relationally outcast and rejected so normally the wom- women would come to the well together as a group in the morning but she had to come by herself in the middle of the day when it was hot because because she was rejected by her community now she becomes their first ambassador for the gospel in her community in verse 27. At this point the disciples who had gone away to get food they came back and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman yet no one asked why do you seek or why do you speak with her so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men come see a man who told me all the things that i have done this this is not the christ is it then they went out of the city and they were coming to him and meanwhile the disciples were urging him saying rabbi eat But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are four months and then comes a harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not laboured. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all these things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed with them two days, and many more believed of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one indeed is the saviour of the world. Why don't we just pray and just um, ask the Lord to speak to us from, from this text. Father, we, we do welcome you as we've been worshipping, but we welcome you again, Lord, to, to speak to us from this text. and. Speak to us from your scriptures, Lord. I also just want to pray, I know a number of us that are here or at home because they're not well. I just pray that you'd bring healing to our bodies, Lord. Yeah, that you'd you'd restore strength to our bodies, God, and the viruses that we've been fighting. And just pray your your Holy Spirit to to refresh us and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. Fill me again, Lord, with your spirit to, to, to bring your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's uh, one prayer that I have to Jesus that's never been answered. And I don't think he will, to be honest. But I would love to have a time machine. And I'd only ever go back. I would never go forward. I've made him this promise if you took me back. And one time I'd love to go back to it is this time, John chapter 4. And just observe this interaction that's happening between Jesus and this woman. And, and between the disciples who just got their world absolutely rattled in this encounter. And I'd just like to watch what was happening. In, you know, when Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman and then preaches the gospel in this Samaritan town, he, he's breaking all religious, all, all cultural, all ethnic protocols. Right in front of the disciples, and they they show respect like oh, no we, we're asked we're wondering why you're speaking to a woman, but we're, we're not going to ask you, but it was so it was so culturally inappropriate for Jesus to be speaking with a woman to it was it was inappropriate for him to be speaking with her about the things of God that was like such a taboo, and then to enter a Samaritan town and to eat with them and to stay with it was, so, it was so breaking all the rules. And I love that about who Jesus is. Like, I, there's a little bit in me like that. And, and I love that, that, yeah. And in the midst of this encounter, as Jesus is trying to capture the disciples' hearts with what's happening in the kingdom in this setting, he says this, he says this phrase to them, lift up your eyes and look. The, it says that the men of the town, or the people really, the men and women of the town were, were coming to him, something was happening, and they're worrying about giving Jesus food. And he says to them, lift up your eyes and look, because there's a harvest that's about to happen. And he was, he was trying to turn their attention to say, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you can see what I see. I'm hoping you can capture what I'm seeing and what's happening in the kingdom right now. And it's something I I think Jesus is always trying to do to us is for us to capture a perspective of of what what God is doing in our lives and in the lives around us so that we can see things how he's seeing them. The whole town of lost and searching people were coming towards Jesus. And he uses this physical expression, he says, lift up your eyes. And and if you think about it, when if you physically to lift up your eyes, you, you have to move your body, right? Because he wants them to capture vision. You don't, you don't capture vision with your eyes gazed down, right? You capture vision, you're, you're a person of vision when you can you can see beyond your present reality, you can see something beyond yourself. And Jesus is saying, I want you to move your, your eyes. I want you to move your body in such a way that you lift yourself up and so what happens to you physically has a spiritual reaction in your life. That you'll actually capture spiritually what's happening all around you in this moment. This is it's how we meet God, right? It's, it actually is the Ingalls scale that there's a moment where we lift up our eyes and we, we see God for who he is and we see God's perspective on our life. On who we are i'm so grateful that it's called salvation that you come to a place of like god i'm finally seeing myself as you see me that we sung about it this 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 reckless tenacious love god that you you search after me you run after me that you you never give up you actually that's how you love me i'm i'm seeing that maybe for the first time and, and that's changed my spirituality. That's changed who I am and it's changed my whole life. And that never, that never ends. That always continues. I'm so grateful to the tenacity of God in my life. That even in recent months and even in recent years, I've seen him fighting for me. I've seen him pursuing me. That I would capture his perspective of who I am. And it's brought me healing and freedom. And I'm like, "Oh God, I'm 52. it would have been great if I'd learned that when I was 20. There's so many different choices I would have made, but maybe I wasn't ready then, you know. Yeah. But God God wants us to, to be able to capture his perspective of how He sees us, but then not only just how he sees us but how he sees others, how he sees those around us and, and how he sees those who are far from him maybe spiritually or culturally and ethnically like in, in John chapter 4. That he, he wants the, the work of his spirit to, to lift up our eyes and, and gain an, a, a shift in our spirituality that gives us, us a perspective of, of who God is and how he sees those around us, not even just beyond ourselves. You know, when that happens, we can't, we can't be the same. You know, when we start to see ourselves and our life and, and then we start to see others from God's perspective, we, 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 we can't be the same. And and I and that, that change is good. That change brings life to us and to those around us. And and this morning I, I want to press into that space of like, what does it look like to to view not just ourselves, but to, to view the world around us and those who are maybe searching or have questions about God, what does it look like to to view from His perspective? And I'm not and I'm not saying in the disclaimer here that I'm not saying I had that all down pat. I'm saying I, I'm I'm still journeying on that. I'm still learning what that looks like. And I'm not saying you're not doing that. I'm not not saying you don't have that at all either. I'm saying as a church, we, we I think we we have a lot of that. I I love that we went and supported a march to, to end domestic violence, I, I think Jesus would stand for that, to say for a man to, to abuse a, a woman or children, that's not the way of Jesus, I, th- I think that's, that's a godly perspective. Uh, but I think there's other ways that we can grow in that as well, and there's a way forward as a church, I think there's things that we can adopt and grow in, and I just want to share a little bit about that this morning, so what that looks like. Um, when the call of Jesus and the work of the Spirit in our life to to lift up our eyes and look and gain a godly perspective, uh, first of all, it changes our paradigm. Paradigm is is a lens through how we see life, how we see ourselves and how we see the world. And when we have a paradigm, we see things that way. And then the danger of a paradigm is we don't see things outside of our paradigm. We think what well, the things that are, exist that they're, they're there, but they're kind of transparent to us because they're they're outside of our paradigm. And Jesus is trying to change and grow in us God's perspective so that our paradigm widens. And that's why he like he breaks all these these cultural norms that that the disciples are like, oh, this is what it's going to look like. He's like, no, I'm just throwing that right out. In verse 42 here, it says this amazing thing. It says that the Samaritans, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one indeed is the saviour of the world. Now we know that statement pretty well, Jesus is the saviour of the world. That was not known then. That wasn't known, that wasn't expected. The Messiah was going to come and he's going to be the saviour to the Israel, to the Jewish people. He he was going to restore... their their kingdom, if you will, their nation. That was their expectation. That was their paradigm. Jesus continually challenged that. So they're always asking, so Lord, is it now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus kind of shakes his head and keeps walking. Because he is trying to expand their paradigm and say, no, it's not just about you. It's actually about those lost Samaritans that you never talk to want to have anything to do with. The kingdom of God is actually wider than the paradigm you've given to the Messiah. They, they had a paradigm for a Jewish Messiah and they had no intention of sharing it with anyone. Jesus said, that's not the way forward. You know, there's a thing, there's a thing in church planting. They teach us, it's called the, the primary group syndrome. It's interesting, when you plant a church, you, you, you gather a, a few people, maybe 12, 15, and everyone's really excited for what God's got to do, and, and they, they, they come into that, and, and, and you go forward, and, and you see wonderful things happen, and then you reach a primary group, they say of around 30 to 50 people, and what happens when you reach that primary group is most of what you want to be doing in church life is starting to happen. So you, you have like a decent children's ministry, you have decent worship, you have, you have a few small groups, and, and people are finding, hey, this is a church I really wanna be a part of. Because why? It's, it's really meeting my needs, my kids love it. You know, my husband and I are part of a, a growth group where it's really challenging us in our spiritual growth and in our marriage. All our needs are being met. So why would we wanna include anyone else? And there's a growth stop hurdle that happens at that point. And you have to again cast vision that, hey, the kingdom of God is more than our primary group. We again have to what? Lift up our eyes and look. Change our paradigm that this wasn't this is wonderful that it's meeting our needs, but it was never about just meeting our needs or our paradigm of what church should look like. Jesus is continually calling us to lift up our eyes and look. Because there's more than he's wanting to do. Secondly, the call of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to lift up our eyes and look. It helps us gain a God godly perspective that changes our posture. I like that. It changes our posture. The way of our being. You can't actually lift up your eyes and look without moving your body. Right? You can't. You can't see vision just by trying. You actually have to lift up your eyes and look. it physically changes our posture, it changes the, the, our way of being and it changes our expectation of God, so Jesus says to his disciples lift up your eyes and look because the fields are ripe for harvest this is happening now he builds in them expectation he says that eternal salvation and life is about to happen and I want you to see it coming and I want you to see it coming with eager expectation. So get ready to harvest. In fact, you guys didn't even sow these seeds, but you're going to harvest this fruit because someone else has labored before you. So with the eager expectation, welcome what's about to come. And it, it changes you. That the, the term that, that Jesus is saying there, that the fields are ripe for harvest, we're not really sure what it means. It's probably like a just a common farming term that says, hey, things are ready. This is where we go cut the wheat. This is where we go cut the barley. This is where we bring in the harvest. It's The time is now, is what Jesus is saying. So with eager expectation, lift up your eyes, change your posture, because the kingdom of God is coming here now. Have you ever been to a friend's house or to maybe, a, a, sometimes it happens at a conference or, or a hotel, where you've, you can tell that they've been eagerly expecting it? And you walk into your room, right, and your bed's made really, really nice and, and there's like a, maybe a little gift and a card there that says, you know, David and Tracy, we're so glad to have you here this weekend. We can't wait for our time together and, you know, relax enjoy and, you know, we'll see you at dinner. It's like, wow, these guys are expecting us. They're really, they're really excited to have us here. Have you ever experienced the opposite? I have. You go to stay with some friends for the weekend. They're like, oh, wow, you're here. Yeah, um, you know there's a bed downstairs, I'll, I'll find some sheets, we, have, we haven't made it yet but um, you know, I can find some sheets for you to, if you want to make your bed and well, I think I've got a spare towel. It's like, wow, did, did you guys really, did you really want us to be here this weekend? Like, I know for Tracy and I what's really important is when we have friends over that we show them that we have an eager expectation for their arrival. And, and so, we're, you know, we, we tidy up and, and, and we're ready for them to come and we have a place for them and, you know, the, the table's set and we're like, hey, we're really glad to have you here. We've, we've been waiting for you. And, you know, and, and in that conversation, we, we have conversations that include them, right? We don't, Trace and I don't go off and just kind of have an intimate time together and, and, and just exclude them. No, no we say, hey, we're so glad you're here that our conversation and our, our posture is gonna be one of welcoming and eager expectation. So there's some things that we don't do, you know, like we you know, there's some things we don't talk about. We don't, we don't talk about those maybe intimate things that Trace and I would go to the bedroom to talk about, or, you know, we, or, or, or we don't use language that they don't get that joke. Oh yeah, that's just our joke. It's just between me and her, we just, you no, know, we, we do things that include them. Say, so, hey, we, we felt so welcome. We felt part of your family. You know, we we prepare for them. Well, I have this joke, or this is not a joke, maybe it is a joke. You know, I do this thing to my sons. It's terrible. But I come home from work and and you know I'm dirty because I'm a tradesman, and so I go straight to the laundry and I, I take off my dirty clothes and I just come up the stairs in my underwear. Say, "Hi, hey babe, I'm home." And Tricky's like, "Oh, David, please," you know. And I, my sons are like you know, in their rooms after school, hey Cruz, hey Chad, how you going? I'm standing there like just in my underwear and they're like, Dad, please, that is like another therapy session, like I just and I'm like, hey, I have nothing to be ashamed about, the mature masculine body, you know, like you look like this one day and they're like, just go put some clothes. You know, but if friends were there that we'd invited and then we're waiting to welcome, like, oh you know, you'd never do that, right? You know, when we lift up when we lift up our eyes to look, even, you know, in church life, we, we, we want to have an eager expectation. We want to have a posture of, of welcoming our why We're so glad you're here. We've, we've actually been waiting for you. We were hoping you'd come today. We're going to have a conversation that includes you. We're going to make things clear to you so that you can understand what we're talking about. We're, we're not going to exclude you from what we're doing. We're going to explain what's going on. Why? Because because our posture is towards you. We've lifted up our eyes and we've been looking for you, waiting for you for you to come. So, you know, the, the call of Jesus and the work of the Spirit, it lifts up our eyes to look and it changes us with a godly perspective that changes our priorities. As I said, Je- Jesus broke all the rules, broke all the cultural rules, broke all the Religious rules broke all, all the racial rules by engaging with this woman and, and eating and drinking and sharing a home with these Samaritans. He broke all the rules because it was a greater priority. The kingdom of God was a greater priority. Bringing the gospel to this woman and to this town was a greater priority than any of the rules or any of the religious traditions that had gone beforehand. I think the same is true today, right? That the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus is, is is our greatest priority. It's our main thing. It's our thing that we we aim for every week. So that people come into an encounter with Jesus like this woman did. You know, I I, I love her salvation that happened. I love how holistic her salvation is. She she started that day. as as a rejected, isolated, adulterous woman that no one wanted anything to do with. And she met Jesus. And he, he not only secured her salvation for eternity, but he restored her life in her community and and now she goes and gives testimony of who Jesus is and there's respect and there's recognition there's reinstatement into her life and her community for, for it's so holistic i love that about jesus and i love that about the gospel it's like hey we're not just trying to get souls on a ticket to heaven it's like no jesus is about life John's gospel is all about life. The end of John's gospel, chapter 20, he writes, that Jesus did all these signs and many more so that you would know that he is the son of God and in him is life. And the gospel that we bring is about life. It's not just a theology. It's not just abstract. It's not philosophy. It's about life that impacts us here and now and it changes how I live tomorrow. I love that about our gospel that Jesus gives us. It's so relevant to our community. It's so relevant to our world. What does the world need now? It needs an encounter like with Jesus like this woman had. You know, when I was, I was pastoring the Beachside Vineyard in the very early days, in, like, like back in 2001, and we'd been going for a few months, and God was doing good things, and, and people, new people were coming, some people getting saved, and one night I, I preached like I do, like I did right now, and at the end of it, a new young man came over to me and and he was, I'm like 31 and he's 21 and he, it's his first time at our church and he says to me, do your teachings get any deeper? And I, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I'm a Bible college student and I'm looking for something that's just going to be a bit more theologically deeper. Like do you think you'd go theologically deeper in in your preachers than what you did tonight? And I looked at him and I'm like, probably not. I'm probably not going to stroke your little 21-year-old snotty-nosed theological student (laughs) ego. I didn't say all of that, but I did did say probably not. I said, that's kind of what we're aiming for, just a revelation of Jesus that has meaning for today and tomorrow for life. And he went away discouraged and never came back. And I went away discouraged thinking, what am I doing? And I looked around the church and I, I'm like, I know there's some of my encouragers here where I, <laughs> I picked out this one beautiful young lady. And I went over to her and I said, Al, was was it okay tonight? Did I preach okay? Did it make sense? She said, David, you're fine. That was a great message. I said, okay, I hope so. And I was still wondering, you know, God, am I, am I for this? You know, is this... My, am I any good at this? And then this, this, this older man was leaving. And he'd been with us for like a few months. And he'd been journeying in faith. And he was, he was wondering about Jesus. And he was, he was coming closer and closer to commitment. And it, but he kept he loved the community and what we were doing. And he kept coming. And he, he would have been 60. I, I'm like, I don't know why you listened to me, but he did. Week after week he came. And th- that night... As he left, he turned around and he looked at me and he said, David, I said, what? Yeah. He goes, you got me tonight. You got me tonight. And I'm like, God, that's my priority. I, I, I don't need to impress some little snotty-nosed theological student. Now, I had to grow. I recognise I had to grow in my understanding and depth of the scripture, but my priority was him. My priority is could we build a community where searching people could, could come and... And encountered Jesus like this woman in the world did. And, and you know, there was, no, there was no... We never had 50 people come to faith on one Sunday. But, you know, what we did small things repeatedly along the way that, that, that lifted up our eyes to look for those who are searching, that, that changed our paradigm for the kingdom of God, that changed our posture to, to be eagerly expecting those who might come looking and to change our priority about what church is really about. The last thing that changed and in our life, I think, Jesus calls us to change is our prayer. Jesus says a similar thing in Matthew 9. Matthew says a similar encounter to what happened in John 4. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news, the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, wow, well, he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus actually tells us, Pray for this. Pray for workers. Pray for people who would come and kind of unite their hearts and their, their efforts to say, we want to see the kingdom of God come together. We want to lift up our eyes to look and see that the harvest field is ready. Well, pray for that, Jesus says. And so that's what we're going to do. I talked with Glenn where, you know, on Sunday mornings at 9.30, Tracy and I are going to be here. We're going to pray. For anyone that would like to join in that, say, hey God, We need workers. We, we need your vision. We need to lift up our eyes and look. We need to shift our posture and, and, and shift our priorities and, and our paradigm for the things of your kingdom. But we're shifting our prayers, Lord, to not just to be about us, but to be about your kingdom beyond us. God, teach us to pray. So if you'd like to join us, you know, 9.30 on Sundays, that's what we're going to do. If I'm on drums and Tracy will lead it. If I'm not, we're going to do it together. Just, you know, whoever would say, hey, I, I want to lift up my arm. I want to look and see the fields are ripe for harvest. I want to to turn my posture with eager expectation to welcome, include anyone that would be searching. Amen. Today I thought, um, I felt actually that it would be good just to finish with some worship. So if you'd indulge me, I'll pick up a guitar. And uh, maybe the Lord just wants to do a little bit in our lives, in our hearts. That's unique to us, so we're going to do that.